all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, my wonderful Star Wars family? How are you doing today? I hope everything is well on your side of the galaxy. So where should we begin today? We only have five days to go. Five days till the rise of Skywalker. And this is going to be the longest five days of my life. I just hope that it lives up to my expectation, especially after The Last Jedi. It better be good. I got a question for everybody. How did y'all feel about Rey's force ability in The Last Jedi? Because this has been bothering me for a long time. Because it took Luke a long time to learn to use the Force. Remember in The Empire Strikes Back, he struggled to get the lightsaber out of the snow, and then he couldn't get the ship out of the swamp. But he gives her one or two lessons, and her and Kylo Ren rip a lightsaber in half. And then she picks up all them big, giant boulders at the end. You know, them were some big rocks. I was like, nah, she can't do that. I, I don't believe she can do that. What do y'all think? Drop me an email or DM me on Instagram and let me know. What else am I excited about when it comes to Star Wars? Oh, we only have two more chapters left in this amazing book. And this one is probably one of the best. So let's get to it. Chapter 18, The Descent. Never forget that we were brought here. Tython is a planet rich in the Force, but it is also a place of mystery, unknown to us, existing here for eons before the Thoyor arrived. Its age is deep, its stories deeper. We are but residents here. Our true home is in the Force. Master Dila John Marola, 3528 TYA. So your arrival. For Tree, the descent must have been terrifying. The peacemaker blazed, hull creaking in protest at the incredible forces and terrible heat, flames smearing the windows, acceleration pressing him back against the seat with enough pressure to make his ears and nose bleed and his leku drain of blood. Lannery barely noticed these physical effects. The force was in turmoil, and the closer she came to home, the more lost she felt. But though she sought Dale and his mad plans, she was not convinced that this storm was connected to him. She sensed it all across Tython, erupting from the deep places of the world and springing from the widest skies. The disturbance was powerful, but the planet still stood solid. She thought again of that vision in her dream, and a strange feeling she'd had flying through the violent space between the inner planets. Dale is my focus, she thought. Gripping the flight stick, she urged the Peacemaker into an even deeper, more dangerous descent. She was forcing the ship past its design constraints and thrusting it into the danger zone. But there was no other way. Every breath she took between now and finding Dale might be one breath too long, and her last. The Peacemaker burst from the clouds above Tulse. She headed west, skimming hilltops, watching scanners confused and disturbed by the ongoing force storm, and an urgent chiming marked the partial return of her comm signal. She immediately sent a signal for Master Dan Powell. It was answered in moments, and the flustered Master appeared on the Peacemaker's flat screen. Lannery, I'm the worst. Master, Dale gave me the slip, but I know where he's going, and I know what he has. Dan Powell's image seemed not to be hearing the message. She looked older than before, distracted, and she was not as well presented as usual. Lannery could not even tell where the Master was transmitting from. The room around her was clean, modern, empty. 
empty. Ship from out of system. Sam Powell continued speaking, but Lannery could not hear. She adjusted some controls, checked transmit levels, but the storm's effects were insurmountable. Master, I'm almost at the old city. Are there Jedi there waiting for him? Ships withdrew, but there are safeguards, Master Dan Powell said. She seemed to gather herself and stare at Lannery from the flat screen. He must be stopped. Whatever is happening now, end it all. Master? I sense that everything is about to change, Dan Powell said. She went to say something else, but the screen snowed and her voice disappeared into a crackling haze of interference. Lannery tried one more time, then turned the comm unit off. What had she meant? A ship from out of system? One of the sleeper ships returned? Lannery was more than intrigued, but she was also set on her course, and Master Dan Powell's words did nothing to dissuade her. Please, just land this thing, Tree said. I've got nothing else to throw up. Almost there, Lannery said. She looked across at Tree, pleased that he seemed a little better. Perhaps whatever had poisoned him on Knox could be treated, given time. What's the plan? He asked. His leku were stroking either side of his face as if giving comfort. Plan? She asked. Is she always like this? Tree asked Iron Holds over his shoulder, and Lannery smiled. The droid issued no reply. Some of its circuits were fried, and it was in need of repair. Again, given time. The ship jolted as a streak of force lightning arced down and split the sky. Lannery cringed and jerked the ship to one side. To crash now would be... A chime from the sensors. She leaned to the left and shielded a scanner from reflected light from outside. And then she saw it. Several kilometers in the distance, and at least 30 kilometers from the first ruins of the old city. What now? Tree asked. Crashed ship. She tweaked the sensor controls, then sat back and sighed in satisfaction. Something going for us at last. His? Yes, Death Blaster. Let's take a look. She brought the Peacemaker in low, the remaining laser cannons at the ready for any aggression. The Death Blaster might have been a wreck, but that didn't mean it didn't have fight left in it. She circled at a distance, scanning for life forms. There was nothing. If the Stargazers and her brother were still on board, they were dead. She felt a pang at that, unsure whether it was grief or regret. Why not just blast it? Tree asked. The ship had landed hard, gouging furrows from the soil across a low hillside, and then broken up when it struck a rocky outcropping. There was no sign of fire or explosion. Can't in case the device is still inside, she said. But that was not the whole reason. Setting down. They landed with barely a jolt, and the peacemaker seemed to croak and sigh with relief. As she was about to speak, Trey held up one hand. Who's going to look after you if I stay here? I was just going to say, you don't need to come, Lannery said. This was never really your fight. Tree's face darkened, and his leku dipped to communicate anger. It's everyone's fight, he said. We just happen to be the only two here. You sound like a bad hollow. Lannery smiled and opened the hatch. Hand on sword hilt, force senses fogged by the storms that raged across Tython's surface, she stepped down onto her home planet one more time. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. They split up as they approached the crashed Stargazer ship, and Lannery's nervousness grew. 
she did not want to find her brother dead among the wreckage. Whether that said she was a good person, whether it spoke of an unreasonable sense of forgiveness, she did not know. It simply was. She had always held out hope for him. Even as he turned that blaster on her, and she had a split second to partially shield herself with the Force, she had felt so sorry for him. A fool, perhaps, but a sister for sure. She hoped her parents would be proud. Lannery closed on the ship and probed outward with her Force senses. She could not detect anyone inside at all. Tree approached slowly from the other side, and when he hefted a rock and threw it at the hull, she ran forward to tackle anyone who emerged. But all was silent. She climbed the tilted hall and shone a glow rod through a smashed door. The insides were a mess. Crushed paneling, hanging wires and cables, a tumbled seat, and hardened impact foam formed around the empty shapes of at least four people. She could see two bodies still encased in foam, and the parts exposed were badly mutilated by the crash. Lannery signaled for Tree to wait where he was, then climbed inside. Neither body was Dale's. She breathed a sigh of relief, then jumped at a particularly strong crash of lightning from outside. There was no sign of the device, and no evidence of a battle or being shot down. The force storm had downed this ship, and she wondered at the stroke of luck. She touched the hull on the way out, then slid down the ship's back to the engine cowls. They were still almost too hot to touch. Thirty kilometers to the old city, and they're on foot, she shouted. How long ago? Tree asked. Not long. Still hot. But we need to hurry. They ran back to the peacemaker, and Lannery took off and drifted them quickly across the landscape. Tree sat beside her and kept his eye on the scanners as she steered them through valleys and around rocky summits. She was more than aware of the element of surprise they had on their side once again. Dale thought she was dead. Approaching the old city, she experienced flashbacks of the last time she had been here. After finding Dale's bloodied clothing and believing him dead, she had returned to Aniel Kesh to face the repercussions of his final acts. Following the inquest into Scott Yoon's murder, for which blame was laid squarely on Dale, she had been granted a period of leave, during which she had traveled home and told her parents everything that had happened. They had blamed themselves, and Lannery had blamed herself. A distance had grown between them, and when the time came to embark upon the rest of her great journey, alone this time, a situation she would grow to prefer, she had grabbed at it. She had never returned to the old city. Dale was dead and gone. Some thing had taken him down, and there was nothing to be gained from visiting that place again. Besides, there was the sense of fear that had flooded her, which she had attributed to the immense age of the place, the unknown history, the mystery that even the Force could not enlighten. She had never spoken of it. She believed that place should always be left alone. And now, here she was again. Sensors don't show any life forms, she said. No Jedi here? Surely they'd be guarding against him getting past you. I think Master Dan Powell said they withdrew. She pointed up at the sky. There's something else going on. Connected or not, I think we're on our own. You Jedi and your mysteries, Tree said, Leku shrugging. So where are they? They must have gone down already. Down? There are tunnels beneath the ruins. Caverns, lakes, deep places. I've had enough of the underground. Lannery looked at him, one eyebrow raised, although this time she did not say, you don't have to come. Let's make it quick, Tree said. You're feeling better? Your drugs are keeping it at bay. Lannery landed the ship, and together they approached the old city. The landscape seemed over-familiar, though she had been here only once, almost as if she had always wished to return. She led them through a shallow valley and past a hill that might once have been a pyramid. 
They followed the footprints of four people in the long, damp grass. Her heart was beating fast, and a sense of impending dread crushed in around her. They really believe they're here to start a hypergate, she thought, and the idea was staggering. If everything went wrong, they might doom the system. But if the hypergate was real, and the device actually worked, Dale might be building a step to the stars. What explorer could not feel a thrill of excitement at that? At last, they stood close to an entrance to the old city's underground, and Lannery recognized it as the way she had come before. A sense of deja vu struck home hard, and much that had happened since that first faded descent felt like a dream. I don't like this place, Tree said, snapping her back to reality. Feels strange, she said. I sense that everything is about to change, Master Dan Powell had said. Once again, Lannery pursued her brother beneath Typhon's surface, not knowing what might lie beneath. So Lannery and Tree finally to get to Tython, and they enter the atmosphere, and the four storms are making Tree sick. But Lannery feels that this doesn't have anything to do with Dale. She gets in touch with Master Dan Pal, and Master Dan Pal's trying to explain to her what's going on. But from what I heard, it sounded like the ship from out of system was on Tython. Maybe the ship that Lannery's vision and dreams were about. But she can't really hear what the Master is saying. But she did hear the Master tell her to just end it with Dale. Just do whatever you gotta do, let's get it done. But the connection with the Master was lost. They come up on Dale's ship and they, you know, it was damaged from the crash. You know, the lightning storms, the four storms or whatever you want to call it caused them to crash. So they landed to check it out. And other than a couple stargazers that didn't make it and some tracks that they could follow... Dell and the device were already gone. So Landry and Tree go to the old city. When they get there, Tree tells Landry he is tired of going underground. He don't want to go down no more. And I don't blame him. Every time he goes down, he gets messed up. And he doesn't have a good feeling about this place. But they must go. This is what Landry tells them. So that's where we're at. Let's get on with the next part of the chapter. Not long after descending from the light, they came across the first of Dan Powell's safeguards. The Cathar Stargazer woman had been sliced into several parts. Her head had rolled down a slight slope and now rested staring up at them. The rest of her lay scattered across the tunnel floor. The blood was still wet and warm, its smell sickening. Her eyes reflected Lannery's glow rod light accusingly, and Lannery sensed the force about the trap that had been sprung here. Set into the wall was a series of laser pods, all of them expended now. But they had fulfilled their purpose. Only Dale and two others left. Lannery said. And now they know there are traps. I doubt they'll fall for the next one. Let's hope we don't, Tree said. These are set by my people, Lannery said. Then there must be something down here worth protecting. Lannery did not reply, because she had thought the same. The Jedi Council had charged her with stopping her brother, and they had surely assumed that she would have succeeded long before now. This was the final step in his plan, and still he was ahead of her. But they would not have guessed that. These traps were here to prevent anyone from entering the deeps of the old city, and they had been placed recently. They continued their descent. Lannery probed ahead, her senses less befuddled down here. Perhaps the force storm on the surface was calming, or maybe the solid bulk of Tython between her and the storm acted as a shield. The force felt disturbed, but settled. She used it with confidence, and the next trap was obvious. Dale and the others had also been aware of it. They had filled a robe with rocks and thrown it ahead, and the shredded material and cracked rocks bore the scorch marks of spent laser pods. They're moving quickly, Lannery said. How can you tell? That's my brother. Lannery drew her sword as they moved on. 
She recognized some of the caverns and tunnels, the large, stepped descents, and the strange engravings on some of the walls. But she kept focused. The pursuit. The Jedi safeguards. They were all that mattered. If it existed, she had no idea how far down the hypergate might be. As they crossed a hallway with carved stone pillars and plinths bearing strange, time-worn sculptures, she saw a flash in the distance. It illuminated a high-arched doorway for a moment before fading, then came again. The white-hot scorch of a laser blast. Another trap triggered, Tree said, and Lannery nodded. They were close. She ran. Perhaps expectation smothered caution. The chase was almost at an end, and her determination to face Dale again before he triggered the device was a hot, driving thing. She probed with her force senses, detected nothing amiss, and trusted that. She did not take into account that her senses were obscured, and that the force was once again shivering at the storms above. Whatever the reason, she led the way into danger. The laser trap had been set across a wide tunnel, and smoke was still rising from the heavy object that had been used to spring it. The rock had been neatly sliced in two, severed parts glowing. They can't be more than a hundred steps ahead, she thought, and as she concentrated on running quietly, shielding her mind and readying herself for what was to come, she saw a flurry of movement on her left. Lannery! Tree shouted behind her, and he pushed her forward. Maybe he tripped, shoving her as he fell. Or perhaps he did so on purpose. The hail of blaster fire echoed across the tunnel, smashing rock to molten pellets, and the stargazer had fired five times before Lannery raised her sword. She deflected two more shots and leaped across the tunnel with barely any effort. She landed beside the man and swung the sword, severing both of his arms just below the elbows. Forearms and blaster fell to the ground. The man gasped quietly and took two steps back until he was standing against the tunnel wall. He looked down at his gouting stumps, then up at Lannery, eyes wide. She swung her sword through his chest, cutting him almost in two. As he dropped dead, she turned around, ready to encourage Tree onward and tell him to be careful, because now Dale and the last stargazer knew they were close on their tail. But Tree did not need telling, because he was dead. One blast had struck him high on the side of his neck, scorching across the back of his skull. He had fallen onto his front, arms still outstretched. Oh, Tree, Lannery whispered because she didn't know what else to say. She dashed to his side, ready to snatch up his blaster and run on. A bubble of blood formed at his nose. She touched his hand, his wrist, and felt a weak pulse fluttering like a bird in a trap. The wound looked bad, yet he still breathed. But Lannery knew there was no time. I'm sorry, she said, and she left Tree in the dark and ran on. Her only comfort was in knowing that were he conscious, he would understand. As she had been that first time in the depths of the old city, she was now alone. Soon, Dale was alone as well. Careful now, more attuned than ever to the ebb and flow of the Force through these ancient subterranean rooms, Lannery sensed the last stargazer long before he knew she was there. He was hiding on a high step that led up one massive wall, blaster aimed back the way he and Dale had come. Lannery climbed higher. She moved quickly and quietly, barely even disturbing the air around her, and every moment she watched for the movement that would show that he had heard or seen her. But she was a shadow. When she was high enough, she moved forward and dropped on the stargazer from above. She thought of questioning him about where Dale had gone and how he was armed, but she could not take the chance. She'd seen one of these stargazers explode suicide belts without a second thought. 
And, she supposed, there was also anger behind the swing of her sword. The stargazer's head bounced down three large steps, and she landed softly on the ground just as it settled beside her. She was already running again. Dale might not know that the last stargazer was dead, but he would assume that he was on his own now. Him, and the sister he had shot and left for dead. Okay, so Landry and Tree start the journey down into the ancient city. Soon they run into one of Dale's stargazer, and she's pretty messed up. The other Jedis had set up some booby trap safeguards. The female stargazer didn't make it, and from what it describes, it was a very bad day for her. As Landry and Tree continue down, they start seeing, you know, lights flashing in front of them, so that they know that they are getting close. Knowing this, Landry speeds up her pursuit. This was not a good decision because she is not probing ahead with the Force. And she steps right into the sights of one of Dale's stargazers. But right before he shoots her, Tree sees him and pushes Landry out of the way. Then Landry does some Jedi blocks and cuts the stargazer down. But this costs Tree. He gets shot a couple of times and drops. Landry checks on him and he's still breathing, but Landry doesn't have the time to help him. This is my problem. As many times as Tree has saved Landry's life, she doesn't do anything to help him. And I think that's messed up. She has no appreciation for this man. She leaves him there and continues to track her brother. She takes down another stargazer, and this part bothers me. It's not that she takes him out, but it states that she did it with anger. And that's not the Jedi way. Just wanted to point that out right quick. So let's get back to the rest of the chapter. Dale! Lannery shouted surprising even herself. She paused, then smiled. It felt good to call his name. And not because he was her brother and she still held out any hope for him, because at last, she did not. No more hope. She enjoyed calling his name because in her voice, she could hear the anger and disgust she was feeling. So many people he had killed to fuel his fantasy, even his sister. If their parents were to suddenly appear, he would kill them as well. Dale! I'm coming to stop you now. No pleading. No more chances. Just you and me. And last time down here, you spilled your own blood. 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 Her voice blood. echoed away, blood. filling huge rooms and grand tunnels that might never have heard such language before. She wondered at the greedy tongue and what these places had seen and heard so long ago. She felt the heavy, dense power that filled the place and did not care. She was tired and enraged. Her balance was unsettled, but she let the anger drive her on. It sharpened her senses. Deeper, and her glow rod fought harder against the darkness than ever before. Perhaps the farther down she went, the heavier the dark. And then Dale was there, standing in a room that might once have been a bathing place. He'd thrown several glow rods in a rough circle around him, and resting by his feet was the device. He must have been carrying it on his own, and Lannery was amazed that something so powerful did not bear more weight. I think this is far enough, Dale said. I'm not stopping now, Lannery said. She slowed, but kept walking toward Dale. I don't mean you. I mean this, here. It's far enough. Here? She looked around. But where is the... Dale bent down to touch the device. Don't! She drew a blaster and aimed it at Dale's head, sheathing her sword. And she knew without any doubt that it would take nothing for her now to pull the trigger. Not a very graceful weapon for a Jedi. You stole my sword. Looks like you have another. And you're not afraid to get it bloody. This one isn't special. Oh, right. Yeah, I dumped that other one in deep space. He was still half-crouched, fingers splayed. And she watched his other hand. I should shoot him right now. Come with me, Dale said, 
You shot me. And yet you're here. My tough sister. The Force saved me. Ironic, don't you think? You mock it so much, and yet it'll be your undoing. It looks like a blaster will be my undoing. They stood that way for a while. Lannery did not relax for a moment. Her finger on the trigger, her eyes on Dale, her Force senses ranging and yet never quite fully aware. The storm was abating, but the force on Tython was still stirred. You're a bad man, Dale. I'm fighting for what I believe in. That doesn't mean you're not evil. I won't stop, he said. I won't give this up, Lenary. Not after so long. Can't you feel it? Can't you sense it? You have no idea. I don't care, she said. Dale stared at her. The older, madder Dale she still did not know. Can't you just wonder... He asked softly. Aren't you at least curious about what might be out there? She did not reply. Where we came from, he said. Our origins, our birth planets. Places where we belong but which we were torn away from. Our heritage in the stars, Lannery. Doesn't even a small part of you wonder? Yes, Lannery said after a brief pause. But not at the risk of everything I know and love. Then shoot me. He reached lower. Lannery's finger tightened on the trigger and eased again. Instead, she closed her eyes and took the greatest risk of her life. She pushed a memory of them together, pushed it with all her might. The Force left her with a clap, and for a while she was actually alive in the memory as it formed in Dale's mind, as real there as she was in this ancient subterranean bathing place for the Gree. They walked together beside the river back at Bodhi Temple, young, almost carefree, watching the weave birds nesting in the trees and the river water carrying clumps of roundweed as large as small islands. The young Lannery laughs in delight and sees Dale do the same. His eyes are wide with surprise. For that moment, he is back there with her. And Lannery saw her brother's eyes grow wide and wet where he hunched over the device, and she thought, Now! She shoved again, but this was no mere memory. She gathered every flaming, blazing, wretched image she had witnessed over the past days. The explosions and death across Greenwood Station. The mines deep on Sunspot. Those who had died beneath her sword. The violent conflagration in the skies of Tython. And heaved them at Dale. His mind recoiled, and for an instant his face was a child's, displaying shock and anger at her deception. Then her brother began to scream. He staggered back, crying at the wretchedness, the pain, the suffering she had pushed his way. Lannery force-shoved him back. He stumbled, then tripped over his feet and went down. She moved beside the device, blaster clasped in one hand. I stopped him, she thought, and a great weight vanished from the depths of her chest. She pressed her hand there and felt the heat of her healed wound. Dale's scream lessened. He stood, shaking his head, rubbing at his face and running fingers through his hair. His breathing remained labored, each inhalation shuddering. Defeated, she expected him to run. And she would have let him. He'd have lost himself down there and died. Or maybe he'd have gone farther than Osamael Or and disappeared into the old city forever. But he did not run. And when he looked up, she saw a completely different expression on his face. Rage. Stay out of my head! He roared, and he came at her. 
Lannery raised the blaster, but Dale somehow was quicker. His hand flashed out. She saw something flitting through the air between them, and then a cool pain erupted in her hand. She dropped the blaster and staggered back, looking at the slim metal blade stuck through her palm and slicing the heel of her hand in two. Then Dale was on her, and every second of attention he had paid at Stav Kesh came to the fore. Startled, Lannery failed to deflect the first punches and kicks. Dale's skills had always been in combat, and she reeled from the blows he rained down on her. She held her wounded hand to her side, but he aimed for it, one kick catching the blade and slicing deeper, a punch pressing her hand back against her hip and snagging the blade's end on her clothing. Lannery cried out in pain. Dale grinned. He came at her again, but this time she had recovered enough to be ready. As Dale fought with every martial talent and all the strength he had, so Lannery drew on her training. Her years as a ranger, her closeness with the Force. Everything Dale hated, and she used it all against him. A punch caught Lannery across the shoulder, and she shoved with her uninjured hand, force-punching him across the cavern. He struck a column and slid down, struggling to stand again. Lannery snatched up the blaster and did not hesitate to pull the trigger. Nothing happened. The dropped blaster must have been damaged. Dale crouched, picked up a rock, and threw it. Lannery deflected it with the force, and it shattered into dust. Dale drew two short knives from his belt and attacked once again. Lannery dropped the useless blaster and drew her sword, parrying his knife thrusts. She held the blade one-handed, but even then she knew she had the better of him. She almost felt sorry. Then he threw a knife at her face, and as she force-shoved it to one side, he leaped at the device. Lannery had no time to think, and if she had, she would have done the same. She swung the sword in a high arc, up over her head, down toward where Dale would meet the device. She closed her eyes at the last moment and felt the sickeningly familiar sensation of sword parting flesh. Something moved and hit the ground, and Lannery had to look. Dale's right arm lay severed beside the device, fingers still splayed. The blade was buried deep in the side of his head. He slumped down, moving slightly, eyelids flickering. He looked at Lannery, his body seeming to relax, and for the first time since childhood, she truly saw the Dale that had once been. But he no longer knew himself. Dale's eyes flooded red. Blood ran from his ears and nose. And then he was still. The sudden inaction and stillness came as a shock, and Lannery let out one heavy, startled sob of relief and sorrow. She probed out gently, expecting to feel rage and hate, his familiar anger at her touching him with the Force, and his determination to complete what he had begun. But there was no more Dale. Her brother was gone, and all that was left was this sad, broken body. She turned her back on Dale while she made sure the device was stable. She thought so. She also thought that the strange power she'd sensed down here nine years before existed now as something like a held breath, matching the shattering potential of the device. The darkness at its heart was horrible, but she was not the one to deal with it. She had left the sword with Dale. It was not her real sword, and she had no wish to wipe her brother's blood from its blade. Soon, she would carry the device back to the surface and into the Peacemaker, and if Tree still lived, she would do what she could for him. Poor, brave Tree. She would transport them both to Anil Kesh, the Temple of Science. More talented Jedi than she would examine and make safe the device, and better healers would give Tree their full attention. She would demand that of them. She would insist. After that, she would meet the Jedi Masters who had set her on this mission. She would tell them everything that had happened and request permission to recover Dale's body so that she could take him home. 
she had decided that she would tell her parents everything. After all that, there was one more journey to take and some final questions to ask. Temple Master Law Mi would grant everything she asked because she might have prevented a cataclysm. What she would not tell the Jedi Masters, ever, was just how long she sat there next to her brother's cooling body, staring at his device's activation panel. Wondering. Only wondering. Okay, there's a lot going on in this last part of the chapter. Let's start with Landry yelling and letting Dale know that she is behind him. This made no sense. She still had the element of surprise. He knew he was being followed by someone, but he didn't know it was his sister, that he had shot through the chest and was supposed to be dead. That would surprise the heck out of anyone. And he would be like, that's impossible. The last time I seen you, you had a big hole in your chest. How are you alive? But Landry finally catches up to Dale, and the first thing she does is pull out a blaster. She is not taking no chances. But Dale is being a smart mouth by telling his sister about pulling out a blaster on him and not using a force and being a Jedi and all that. But Landry is staying sharp. She won't be fooled again. Dale tries to appeal to her curiosity. Like, hey, let's turn it on. Let's see what happens. You can come with me, sister. Let's, let's do this. And she's like, nah, man, I ain't got time for that. But Landry tells him that she doesn't care at all. For a few minutes, they go back and forth, arguing like siblings do. Then Landry uses the force to plant some amazing memory of their childhood into Dale's mind. Then she follows it up with some evil, devastating things that's happened over the last couple of days that she's been pursuing him. She was playing mind tricks with him, and as soon as he was distracted, she uses the force, shoves him back away from the device. She thinks she has won, and he will run. But then he pulls a knife and rushes in, stabs it through her hand. This dude doesn't care at all. First, he shoots his sister, then he stabs her. No feelings whatsoever. Then he starts to punch and kick her. At this point, Landry says, screw it, and she force punches him across the room. Then she picks up the blaster and goes to pull the trigger, but nothing happens. Landry is the unluckiest Jedi in the universe. Nothing ever works out for her. Dale pulls some other knives and attacks her. She's dodging the knife strikes. Dale throws one of the knives at her and then reaches for the device, and Landry cuts him down. And from the way it's described, she cuts him down bad, just really bad. But then she does something strange. She sits there and thinks about turning it on. In my opinion, I think that they're both crazy. Bat stuff crazy. But that's it for this chapter. Not for the book. We still got chapter 19. And we will find out the end in the next episode. I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.